Hey now, I'm Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. This is the 26th of May, 2017, and you're listening to the Room Now Week in Review. Highlights in the news this week is IL-6 is a hot topic, especially as far as new regulatory approvals. Additionally, a major new osteoporosis drug in development may have hit the skids for heart reasons. More on those later. At the top of the news, an interesting study done with 24 patients with erosive RA looked to see if whether you could use an anabolic steroid, teriparatide, to prevent the development of erosions. In this one-year study uh, headed by Dan Solomon and Ellen Gravelise, they actually did not show that the use of the anabolic steroid um, provided any uh, reduction in either the rate or the volume of erosions that were seen in the 24 patients that were treated. Um, there have been some studies in the past that looked at bisphosphonates as potential add-ons to reduce, or prolia for that matter, again, with some variable results. Uh, while it makes some sense to make this approach in an erosive disease, it seems better to control the disease with inflammation. Um, and that's where anti-TNF inhibitors have been particularly effective. Uh, interesting study comes out of Sweden. Um, a co large cohort study, a nationwide study of patients with uh, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, and undifferentiated spondyloarthropathy looked at over 27,000 patients, compared them almost five to one to a normal control population, and looked at the rate of acute coronary syndrome and strokes. And in fact, they showed uh, higher rates of acute coronary syndrome and stroke in patients who had these inflammatory disorders. Not surprising, as we know, that inflammation does drive cardiovascular risk and rheumatoid arthritis and some other disorders. And this has been seen before, but this, what's good about this study is it comes from a very reputable group, very large cohort study, very well done research. Again, underscores the importance of controlling inflammation to control the untoward effects of inflammation. Um, a nice study looked at the potential biomarker for IL-17 driven psoriasis. We know uh, interleukin-17 is very important in the pathogenesis of psoriasis. That um, the What drives that, however, is not known. IL-17 is very much involved in defense mechanisms and mucosal uh, immunity and whatnot. And in this particular study, they looked at um, uh, eight patients with and without psoriasis, and they analyzed um, 170 or more proteins from the skin, um, both lesional and non-lesional skin, and from blood, and to see what might correlate with um, IL-17 or uh, markers of a disease activity. And they found that beta defensin 2 was a really quite a good biomarker. Number one, it's fairly easy to measure and, um, and seemed to have a high correlation with posse skin scores and also in IL-17A levels. So again, this represents a potentially useful uh, biomarker for the future. Um, the Tycopa study is a tight control in psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis trial that um, showed that, as it did in RA, the tight control and aggressive therapy had certain benefits. However, um, a new financial analysis looked at um, the uh, cost effectiveness of tight control. Specifically, they looked at qualities, uh, quality adjusted uh, life years and showed that um, tight control was more, um, more costly, almost twice as much co more costly, um, and also had a significant increase in qualities, but was not necessarily cost effective in um, most analyses that they ran. What they did see, however, was that you know certain 
subsets of aggressive patients, it might make some sense to use a more uh, aggressive regimen as was done in Tycopa. So uh, sort of bad news that um, sometimes using more expensive therapies isn't always the best or most cost-effective measure. Um, a very interesting study looked at the, the infection rate in children with JIA who go on biologics. And specifically, they looked at serious bacterial infections. In a study of 2,495 JIA patients, they showed, and this is claims data, that there was a much higher rate of serious bacterial infections in those who were taking TNF inhibitors versus those who were just taking DMARDs. Now, there could be some selection bias here. Obviously, sicker patients are going to get a TNF inhibitor. Um, but nonetheless, um, it's a, it, it is a, something that's usually not been seen in other studies, that again, it is a significant increase in SIEs, um, and that, you know, it's something that it might be a, a true message, especially in children who have um, just pure inflammatory disease and haven't been on a lot of other therapies. So uh, a little bit of warning there. A study of patients who have uh, ANCA-associated vasculitis, 323 patients, and compared what the subsequent cancer rate might be if they were treated with cytoxan or rituxan. And uh, we know from other studies that uh, such patients may be at higher rate of certain cancers, especially if they receive cyclophosphamide, where there's a high rate of urogenital cancers, bladder cancers. Uh, and in this particular study, they showed that the cancer rate was was higher um, with an SIR of a, a standard, standardized incidence ratio of 3.1 for cytoxin. And that was um, four and a half fold higher rates of cancer compared to rituxan. So the, uh, the significant risk with cytoxin, uh, 3.1 SIR versus 0.67 SIR with rituxan. Um, in rituxan, they found that the cancer rate was roughly equal to the population rate. So obviously, there's a significant risk to using cytoxan or cyclophosphamide in patients with ANCA-associated vasculitis. The two big uh, bits of news from the regulatory front this week uh, from the FDA. On the same day, the FDA approved the use of Kevzara, um, the generic name being Cerilumab, an IL-6 inhibitor. And this now becomes the second FDA-approved IL-6 inhibitor for use in patients with active rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, Kevzara has been approved in Canada and other countries. And the interesting thing about this drug that's being um, developed by uh, Regeneron and Sanofi is that it comes into the market priced 30% below um, the t current TNF inhibitor price, which is roughly around uh, $49,000 This comes in at $39,000. Um, so aggressive pricing for a brand new product. IL-6 inhibitors are going to expand. We now have, uh, obviously, Ectemra and now Kevzara in the market, and there's another one soon to follow. Um, speaking of Ectemra or Tocilizumab, the FDA approved this week uh, Ectemra for use in patients who have giant cell arteritis. Um, really based on the GIACTA study, uh, this drug was sort of fa given a fast track to FDA approval, uh, was approved at, um, at, uh, um, as a subcutaneous ad uh, administered drug. Um, and it says in the package insert that it should be given uh, along with tapering doses of corticosteroids. So the idea of giving this drug so that you can get patients off of their corticosteroids uh, as demonstrated in the trial is also demonstrated or reflected in the package insert. Um, the ACR has actually been very active. If you, have, if you haven't noticed, under Sherrod Lock and Paul, they've had a lot of announcements about uh, position statements, responses to what's going on with Trump Care and whatnot. The ACR issued another statement this week supporting the FDA's draft on interchangeability. 
They support the FDA's position on naming suffixes, meaning that infliximab is not just infliximab, it's also called infliximab um, uh, DYYB for the new one, Inflectra, et cetera, so that we can distinguish between the generic infliximab and the biosimilar infliximab. Um, and they also support the uh, Biosimilar User Fee Act, um, which the FDA is, un- is considering. But they actually had a strange, um, but not expanded upon statement about extrapolation. They don't, ex- they did not, or question the, ex- the issue of extrapolation. Extrapolation being that if a drug is studied and approved for studied in rheumatoid arthritis and gets approved as a biosimilar, it gets all the indications of the biosimilar that was it was or the originator it was being compared to. So you could do just a study in psoriasis, yet get an indication for rheumatoid arthritis, um, JIA, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, even though you didn't do those trials. That's extrapolation. And you may not like it, but that's the rule. And the rule is really based on if you prove biosimilarity, if you prove structural, chemical, uh, functional, um, uh, and, and mechanism of action, biosimilarity, um, through analytical methods, then all you need is one clinical trial to get the drug approved, and then you get all the indications. So it's not something that's really up for debate. Uh, and on why they didn't approve it or have a problem with it, worldwide, no one else is having a problem with it. A survey in the UK of 364 patients looked at patient attitudes about, um, uh, about how they receive information on TNF inhibitors and showed that a third of patients who got information about the new use of a biologic, a TNF inhibitor, said that openly it helps them, and another third said openly that it, it hurts them, meaning it scares them. So, you know, where's the fine line? There are many who have sort of misconstrued uh, impressions about biosimilars, about biologics, and their safety, uh, especially their safety. Um, but it is the idea that giving patients more information may, in fact, be a deterrent to um, the use of the drug, filling the prescription, and being adherent. Um, my overall rules is give the patient written material um, to tell them to read, question, circle, and come back, and not to make decisions without talking to me. But I more specifically focus on three things that they can expect that are most common side effects. I also give them the one or two or three things that are the most dangerous that might avert their use and explain why that's a one in 1,000 risk, and that's a low risk compared to the risk of the disease that they're trying to treat. Um, uh, last week I was at a, a, a state society meeting in Puerto Rico, and Dr. Doric Urkan was there talking um, about uh, antiphospholipid syndrome. Uh, he's an expert from Hospital for Special Surgery, and uh, I came away with two pearls. One that in treating uh, secondary thrombosis prevention, the current um, management of those venous thromboses would be to use warfarin and keep the INR between two and three for the venous thromboses, but that if you're treating arterial thromboses that you really want to keep the INR um, um, between, what does it say, um, two and three, but also use aspirin. If you're not going to use aspirin and you're dealing with an arterial thrombosis, you probably should keep the INR between three and four. So again, that's the venous thromboses. It's without aspirin, it's two and three is the INR with Coumadin. Uh, but if it's arterial thromboses, use aspirin in the same uh, INR of two to three is, is suggested. But if you're not going to use aspirin, can't use aspirin, you need a higher INR three to four. He also came across with the, uh, the, 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 the management of of catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome currently is anticoagulation, high-dose steroids, IVIG, often with plasma exchange, and there's 
Some suggestions, some patients might even benefit from the use of rituximab. An important development in the news came this week with the uh, announcement by Amgen and UCB about their drug Romosuzumab, which is also called um, Evenity, E-V-E-N-I-T-Y. Um, this is an anti-sclerostin drug that has uh, a great deal of promise in the treatment of osteoporosis and strengthening bones, and they've had a number of phase two, phase three trials that look very good, highly promising in their ability to reduce fracture rates um, overall. But uh, they announced the results of the ARCH trial. And what was unique about this trial um, was one, its design. It was romosuzumab given for 12 months, followed by alendronate, and then a, a matched placebo control who didn't get romosuzumab who took alendronate. And they showed there was a significant reduction in both vertebral and non-vertebral fractures um, uh, at the end of, the, of 24 months. Um, the problem was at the, at the end, they also noticed an imbalance in cardiac events, the nature of which was not disclosed. It was, it was, it was reported that 2, 2.5% of those on romosuzumab um, had these cardiac events versus only 1.9 in the alendronate-only group, suggesting this could be a potential problem. So there's a lot of buzz about this. This could lead to a stall in the drug's development or its approval or could lead to an FDA hearing. Uh, still a lot of un unknowns, but a drug that was previously thought to be fast-tracked for approval and success now has a wrinkle in, uh, uh, in or a bump in the road, let's say, in its development. And lastly, there was an important report um, from uh, the New England Journal on the use of um, uh, an anti-IL-5 monoclonal antibody called mepolizumab. Um, and it was used in patients who have Churg-Strauss vasculitis, now called eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis, or EGPA. In this particular study reported in New England Journal, 136 patients with relapsing or recurrent disease were given either placebo or 300 milligrams of mepolizumab every four weeks. And in the end, that the patients who received the anti-IL-5 monoclonal antibody had a higher percentage of remissions um, at, at 48 weeks, 32% um, versus 3%. Uh, and the number of patients who did not achieve remission was much lower on mepolizumab, 47% versus 81%. The interesting thing about this is when this drug worked, it worked on the components that might be IL-5 driven, meaning um, the asthma symptoms and the sinu, sinu, sinusitis uh, nasal symptoms, not, not as much on the vasculitis symptoms. So this drug needs to be studied uh, with maybe in combination with other drugs that are better at vasculitis. Um, and it's unclear, uh, although it's very promising, it's unclear exactly who should get this drug going forward in the future. And one more lastly, I have uh, actually a, a report about um, uh, Stills disease, my favorite disorder. This is a, a study of 34 patients with adult onset Stills disease and looked at the association of Stills disease with the N uh, NLRP3 uh, um, uh, um, uh, gene that, that is important in activation of the inflammasome, which drives the, the systemic inflammatory disorder. While everyone assumes that Stills disease is an auto-inflammatory syndrome, based on its responsiveness to IL-1 inhibition and the symptomatology, which is very akin to that seen with all the other auto-inflammatory syndromes, the direct connection with activation of the NLRP3 
uh, gene and the inflammasome hasn't been well demonstrated. So uh, in this particular study, they looked at 34 patients in controls and they showed that there was significantly higher degree of mRNA expression of the NLRP3 gene compared to controls and much higher. Moreover, NLRP3 mRNA levels correlated highly with um, Stills disease activity measures. Um, they did further experiments that looked at what happens if you activate um, the gene with an, a, a total TLR7 uh, uh, ligand um, uh, and, and they showed that if you can activate NLRP3 um, in these patients in their PBMs that you actually have even higher levels of NLRP3 expression and if you can inhibit it you have even lower levels also done in the same patients. All of which is to say it's a fairly good connection here that says that, that the NLRP3 gene is activated, turned on, and is probably driving patients with Stills disease. We do not know what the instigators are of that process. And it's obviously not genetically based as are many of the other autoinflammatory syndromes which are monogenic, uh, often appearing in early life. This is an acquired or um, an, uh, a developmental uh, defect that occurs that leads to this uh, uh, periodic fever called adult onset stills disease. That's it for this week at roomnow.com. Go to the website to see um, all these citations and more. Tune in next week for more news from roomnow.com.